I just used to be one of the bros, smoking Timmy's Mix every hour, on the hour, waking up a few days later, in the woods, pants off, covered in shit. But that's all behind me now, because now, now I'm thinking. I've been doing a lot of thinking, and I've been smoking a lot of Timmy's Mix, and doing a lot of thinking while I've been smoking Timmy's Mix. And you know what? I've been learning a lot from how much mix has been in my blood recently. And you know what I've learned? Not everything is how it appears out there. You may think you know what's going on, but until you've smoked the mix, you really don't know what's going on. And they don't want you to know what's going on. Because if you know what's going on, Who's to say that other mix smokers don't know what's going on? And if other people who smoke mix know what's going on, they might take the mix away. And if they take the mix away, you're not going to be able to figure out what's really going on out there. Good tidings, dwellers of the lodge. The opening you just heard was actually an excerpt from a video entitled Timmy's Mix on YouTube. And that video is by none other than today's guest, Colin Montiel. Colin is a musician and YouTuber who works and specializes in cybersecurity out in Seattle, Washington. Join us as we cover a wide variety of topics, including Bitcoin, cybersecurity, hacking, and many others. Also, worth mentioning, our discussions about Bitcoin are not financial advice. However, before we move on to the episode, I just want to reach out and say thank you to everyone who donated to the charity stream we did this past weekend. We raised approximately $300 for Long Island Wildlife and Animal Rescue. So again, a huge thank you to everybody who took part. We're going to be doing another one in December, so stay tuned. So that should wrap it up. Please enjoy a quick ad read, a tune by Akira the Don, and then this podcast with my boy Colin will be right underway. None of that. But something you forgot. See, everybody's forgotten something. You left it out. Just missed it. See? See? And so, I can bring this out, what you've forgotten, if I ask you, who are you? Will you say I'm Paul Jones, or whatever your name happens to be? I say, oh, no, no. Don't give me that stuff. Who are you, really? Who are you? We're watching this bitch in five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else, welcome back to the Lodge, episode number 41. Who's in the house? You heard it in the intro. It's Colin Montiel. Is that right? Is that right? Did I say that right? That is absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. All right, we're off to a good start here. All right, Colin, what's going on? Well, so you're in town. You're not from around these parts anymore, are you? <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, you know, I was born and born and raised Long Island, New York. Many years on these uh, on these uh, high school fields. You know, alcohol poisoning, telling your mom you're at a sleepover. <laughs> but nowadays, I'm living in Washington State, living in Seattle, more specifically. Uh, I moved out there right after college on a very, very impromptu road trip. And uh, I've never looked back, 
except for you know the holidays you know mom wants you back you know you do you make it home for the holidays oh yeah yeah okay. not not christmas because it's it's too cold it's too cold no no <laughs> but like thanksgiving that's a good time of year thanksgiving's the best thanksgiving man. time of year you get that meal um, some of the more obscure holidays i like visiting for like uh halloween fourth of july because fourth of july is a good one those are just great times to be yeah. in new york but like you know i understand i understand so what's christmas time like around seattle christmas you, time around you guys seattle, get snow Oh hell no! There's no <laughs> no snow. No, I mean. Oh yeah, you brought this up before. So it exists in that median of like forty degrees to eighty degrees. Yeah, Seattle is interesting. I mean, Seattle is in this really great region uh, for weather, where everyone thinks it just rains all the time. And we we already talked about this, but essentially, what Seattle actually boils down to is it doesn't go really that far below forty in the winter, and it doesn't go really that far above like eighty five in the summer. And the nice thing is the humidity is pretty low at the extreme. So, like, when winter does get bad, it doesn't, like, slap. It's not, like, you know, quote, unquote, brick, as they would call it, you know, over here. Yeah. But. Do they say brick out they there? They absolutely do not say brick. They do not they say brick. Not what, say what's their brick. word for brick? Um, they really don't have that great a slang over there. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, whenever I say some New York shit, everyone's like. That's hilarious. Like you guys say that over oh, there. Oh, registers. They they, they know they've it? heard of it because they they you know they're on the meme culture. They're on the internet. Gotcha. And they've seen these like really like hood rat Brooklyn people like it's fucking brick out here, you know. <laughs> and they're just like ah, what a meme, you know. And then like someone actually from the East Coast comes over and they say something like that, and then they're just like, that's just from the meme, right? And it's just like no, we no, that's actually, how we, we are. actually say that over there, and they're just like, oh no. See, that's why, that's why I have to wonder, when are we as a people going to realize we are the memes? We think of the memes as something separate from us, but <laughs> <laughs> are, are, we are the memes. That sounds like a very self-referential kind of meme where it's just like, you know, you turn the black mirror back on yourself and it's just like, you want to see a meme? You turn your phone off and you look into the black mirror, you know? It's like one of those things like, whoa, that's some like 2021 memes, you know? Imagine you can create like a polygraph sort of idea. Not necessarily polygraph, that's the wrong word for it. But imagine you did that, right? You looked at yourself in your phone's black mirror and immediately it memed you. Oh, like we had some kind of way to, to meme you based off your own perception of yourself. Ooh. Like I if mean, you could be memed based off your own perception of yourself, people pay big money for that. <laughs> Who needs fucking therapy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're getting dangerously close. We got like so many Snapchat filters now, right? You know, like you Tons, put it in, it's just many. like, that's not me as a baby, but it could have been, you know? <laughs> <laughs> man, I tell you, if I see one more girl with this doggy filter on, I'm oh, going to lose man. my shit. I'm going to lose my it's shit. time to shut down the internet, I'm telling it's, you, bro. You like, might be right. You were going on this before, so you think it's time <laughs> to shut down the internet. Bro, I want to give you a platform to explain this to the people. I'm so I'm so ungrateful that you gave me a platform to explain this idea because <laughs> this is um this is as I told Nick right before we started filming, this is just uh this is just a real life meme if you want to call jokes real life memes and you really shouldn't because it's kind of bro you're posting cringe but like you know <laughs> um but um yeah, so you know, I've been in tech for a long time. I've been on the internet for even longer. And one of my favorite jokes to make with my coworkers is like anytime anything bad happens on the internet or someone gets hacked or someone posts something racist or misogynistic or anything like that on the internet, like the, the drop of a pin, it's time to shut off the internet. You know, like we've had enough. It's been a cool run. You know, we've had like what, you know, 1984 to 2019. That's enough. 
that's enough. It's a fad. It's like AM radio. It's done. <laughs> it's like it's there, but like no one's really. I always wondered that. Imagine 10 years from now, like I hit you up. I'm like, yo, Colin, guess what I did <laughs> guess yesterday? Guess what they did, bro. It's like, what? I went on the internet. You're like, dude, the internet? That's crazy. Dude, it's been years since I've been on the I used to love the internet. <laughs> Now it's, now it's back to those stupid books. Those things are so dry. And uh, books, you, dude, they make great campfires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Every time I just go ask out, the people like, who found Isaac Newton's writings. I used to have to bring an axe every camping trip, and it'd be like we cut down these tree things, and then people were super about the trees, and people were like, "What are these stupid books? Fucking that's like that used to be a tree, you know." But there actually used to be an internet that they um, that's kind of ended up in this state that we're talking about, where it's like. It exists, but no one really uses it anymore. You what hear, is the you AM radio of the internet? You ever hear of Usenet? Usenet? Nope, never. That's good because otherwise it means it would have meant you're way too deep <laughs> in the stuff. <laughs> but Usenet is um, it's a really, really old school, almost prototype of the internet that you can still access today. And some ISPs, especially like Optimal Online, I was very surprised they actually give you free access to it. What up, Optimum? And so Usenet, it used to just pretty much be like a bulletin board kind of thing where people would post, you know, like, hey, here's a thing that I want to talk about. And there's like different boards on it. Wait, so that almost sounds like the predecessor to Reddit. It almost sounds it's like Reddit very, was like the beginning of the internet, actually. It's very, very similar to Reddit's layout. It's very, very similar. It's like pretty much how the layout is, is it's, it's usually the boards have two words separated by a period. Okay. Um, a lot of the like off-topic discussion goes off on like alt dot and then whatever the topic is so it could be like alt dot pets alt dot drugs alt dot you know anything, anything music whatever anything. and it's just kind of like you know people are posting stuff on there other people are reading it they're posting back Do people still use this yes and this, this is, is this is where the forum. story actually really gets interesting because <laughs> you hear about Usenet and you're like, that's a great that's a great little internet guys. Like I see why we had to get past that. But Usenet has a very, very particular use these days in the software piracy scene. Because what Usenet is is all the stuff that's on Usenet is actually distributed um on lots of different servers that are hosted at like universities, government facilities. Well and so it's very, very distributed in how the data is actually stored. And so what's good about that is that if someone uploads something to Usenet, it's so distributed that if one party decides like it shouldn't be here anymore, it's very hard to delete it from the entire Usenet. So what people Whoa. have figured out is like it's pretty much useless for communicating and like hanging out on because we have the internet, we have like way better ways of doing that. But what it's really good for is you, you know, if you're one of those groups that distributes cracked PC games, cracked Xbox games, cracked, you know, versions of Photoshop, mm -hmm. anything like that, it's a great place to put these kind of huge files broken up into smaller parts and it, all the parts will be hosted on different servers all over the place. And so you have a lot of parity where it's like, oh, part two is down on this server. But luckily, Usenet's smart enough to also find it on this other server. So if I want this full you know, 20 gigabyte Xbox game, <laughs> it's on Usenet. And so this has become a big distribution platform for uh, you know, cracked software and stuff like that. So if you're listening, if there are any pirates out there listening, Optimum's got your back. 
Yeah, you can, <laughs> you can get up to, like to two <laughs> two threads of download from uh, from Optum, which is pretty shitty. Usually, yeah. you want way more, but do you they, think it that is means free. Somebody at Optum knows what's up. Does that mean there's somebody high up in the Optum scene that's just pirating everything and it's like, <laughs> yo, I'm gonna hook up my people, but only the ones who know what's up? Because I didn't even know dick about this Usenet up until like two and a half minutes ago. It's, I mean, no one knows about this. This is kind of mind blowing. No one knows about this. It's super, super old school. And what I'm going to say is like, I don't think anyone at Optum knows exactly that it's great for, you know, piracy. I think the real deal is Optum is super fucking old school. You know, Optimum has been like the Long Island carrier for a very, very long time. time. And I think back in the day it was like, yeah, we do Usenet. And then as the internet came in and they were like, We'll do the internet. Does Optimum still... exist for you out in Washington? Oh, hell no. Optimum is just Long Bro, Island. I've lived, I was going to say, because I've lived in Newburgh, New York, and I've lived in Charleston, South Carolina. Optimum was nowhere to be fucking found. No, it's gone, dude. It's just out on those places. It's just like it's just gone. Verizon, and you got like what? Comcast. Uh, Xfinity, yeah, Comcast. Bro, Comcast held a monopoly in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, you that's how they allowed, all are. You weren't allowed to get anything different. And then when you got a letter in the mail, swear to God, this happened to me, and your fucking. Internet bill was $30 higher for no reason, and you called them and complained. You know what they did? They hung up. Yeah, dude. There's no one you're going to go to. Do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Exactly. What are you going to do? Um, Fuck you. Yeah. It's it's a huge problem, and it's like it's not just in these tiny pockets. It's pretty much everywhere other than major cities. ISPs yeah. have great monopolies where it's like, yeah, there's this one other guy. If you want one bite an hour, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if you want one bite an hour, you can get these other guys. But like, if you want anything over that, like you're going to go with you're Verizon. Gonna have to come you're going to go with Comcast, you know? So that's how it is. And, um, that's one of the things that a lot of my privacy friends, uh, who aren't so much on the cybersecurity, the like offensive kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They're more on the like everyone should be able to be private on the internet. Everyone should have a choice on the internet. Everyone should have access to information. They're really uh, concerned with that problem where it's like these ISPs really have taken over their local neighborhoods and it's like how do we solve that? Some of the solutions are stuff like mesh networks where everyone sets up a little um, access point mm-hmm. and your whole neighborhood is kind of like sharing internet and you can kind of like get it from somewhere else and like share it with people. Um there's other solutions, but it's like one of those things where people are definitely they're tight about it a little bit. Do you think we're moving into an age of decentralization? Because when you talk about things like that, like setting up routing points just for individual neighborhoods, do you think with the advancement of technology and the fact that the tools that you and I have disposable just to ourselves are infinitely more powerful than the tools that our brothers and sisters had 20 years ago? It's like... Do you think we're moving towards a point where we're going to start breaking off from these giant, I don't even want to call them monopolies because Comcast does have some competition like Verizon, but where we're kind of going to break off from that and almost start setting up more local or maybe statewide institutions and we're going to kind of break off because like this, I feel like a lot of these industries have kind of outgrown their reach, their quality reach, not their reach because they can reach, but their quality reach. Yeah. That's a that's a really great question, and that's um, that's one of the things that a lot of my privacy friends have also been preoccupied with for a very long time. One of my friends that I'd like to reference uh, actually runs his own ISP, which is you know on the order of like Optimum, something like that, much smaller scale, mm-hmm. and they focus a lot on like Tor traffic and like privacy centric kind of traffic. But one of the things I learned from him, he actually did a, a talk in Las Vegas on his business and everything. One of the things I've learned from him is that setting up an ISP 
that goes against the big guys actually isn't as crazy as you think it would be. Really? Because um, the way that the internet works is there's, you know, there's the ISPs that are the closest link to you, where it's like it's your house connected to an ISP. But then upstream from the ISP, there's another company. And then upstream from that, there's more. And eventually you're getting closer and closer to like, you know, what makes up the core of the internet, the backbone of the internet, they call it. And so what you want to do if you're starting an ISP is you want to essentially sidestep that first layer where it's like i don't want to have to go through optimum anymore i want to talk to who optimum is getting their shit from and so that's actually not that hard because those guys obviously they're always willing to make a buck they got super high bandwidth lines and they're like if you want 10 gigabits a second like we can do that and so if you got the money they got the lines so that's not that hard but the next part is you know you have to set up a lot of your infrastructure like you're gonna have to you are gonna have to buy some stuff there's no just like, and then I started the website and it was done and I just set up a tripod.com site and it was free. Um, you know, there's a little bit of money, but the thing is that his company is a nonprofit. And so they actually get a lot of donations from other people who are like, I like what you're doing. You're fighting against the big guys, like you're fighting for privacy. And so they actually don't put in that much of their own money. They actually raise a lot of money just from donations. See, I feel like that's what we're moving towards. We're moving into an age where we're not only cutting out the middlemen like Optimum, but we're also starting to get more towards a thank you economy. I'd like to think so. I mean, it, it's a little bit hard for me to say, like, we're definitely moving there, but there are good examples. Like, you know, yeah. this is a little off topic, but, you know, you look at big record labels mm-hmm. and they've definitely fallen out of vogue. They've definitely, yep. they don't have the reach. They don't have the power that they once had. They don't have the monopoly on distribution anymore. Absolutely. Because you and I can ha- can do an, we're, this is an international broadcast. It's available everywhere. Absolutely. You know? Distribution, not so much of a selling point for a major label anymore. Um, they have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They know a lot of good producers and studios and stuff. But like, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, it's chipping away at the wall. Yeah. And another thing is, you know, we do have, there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff like that. We have, you know, another good example in the tech realm is like Bitcoin, that's like a decentralized yes. currency and a mm-hmm. lot of other currencies like that followed where it's like, we don't want to trust anyone. How There's, much do you know about Bitcoin? I mean, I know a decent amount. Because I've been a little, I've been on the train for a little while and uh, it's definitely really interesting. It's yeah. definitely really interesting because I think there is something wrong with our money. You sure. know, if you look at the national debt and inflation starting from post-World War II to now, there's a pattern. Sure. You know, and... Subsequently, things like Nixon moving us off the gold standard or Woodrow Wilson signing in the Federal Reserve in 1913 and the idea that our money's printed by a private bank is kind of alarming. Like, I, yeah. I, you know, it's like it's funny. It's like I, I want to I wish I lived in a world where I turned on the news and that's what we were talking about. Yeah. You I know? mean, it's that goes really deep and it's not is deep. it's definitely deep it's definitely a little outside of my comfort zone i'm no you know economy man i'm no, I don't know, we're, we're I don't no know experts shit. to anyone listening we're no experts neither one just making yeah. that clear no absolutely <laughs> so like i have i have a couple of friends that you know they know a lot more about this mm-hmm. as far as like how we got off the gold standard what that meant for the world economy what it means that we have digital currencies like bitcoin coming in the stuff i can talk about with bitcoin is more it's it's history its legacy and some of the technical details of how it works. Um, I've been using Bitcoin since around like 2010. 
So pretty early cool. adopter. No, I heard about it like very early. Uh, I made a little bit of money off of it um, because I knew about it early. None of these like Bitcoin yacht millionaires. So don't, you know, <laughs> don't come, you know, mailing me letters. Don't, like, don't I just Colin. a little bit of the, you know, no. But um, I really like, I really like where it's been going, where there's actually, there's quite a lot of competing cryptocurrencies now that yep. offer different things. They're not just doing the same thing as the Bitcoin model. They actually are trying to improve it in some way. You know, like yeah. one of the good examples is Monero. I don't know if you've heard about that, yep. but Monero... It's a very popular one, even a, even among people who are like Bitcoin maximalists. Absolutely. They kind of regard Monero as like the second class version of... Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things you always want to look for, at least, well, maybe not you, but I always look for when I'm looking at the usability of these kind of cryptocurrencies is how it's sustaining in like the underworld. Yes. So, you know, like a lot of people are like, yeah, Bitcoin can be legitimate. And I totally agree with that. But one of the earliest adopters of cryptocurrencies is the underworld. You know, there's a mm -hmm. lot of people like doing illegal transactions Silk with Road, this is the that, currency. Yeah. And so you, you know, I personally, I like reading a lot of like legal documentation when these like tech cases come to like the Supreme Court, especially Silk Road one was interesting because it's like, what's going to happen to that guy? Yeah. You know, that's the first case. Well, I'm type. pretty sure he got butt fucked. They put him oh, away yeah. for like I eight mean, lifetimes. He, he, yeah, he got life no parole. <laughs> but the thing is that it's like that's an unprecedented case. Yeah, it's um, it's a case where he started a website and he mainly wasn't selling any drugs personally. He was just, I rent the server. I'm running the site off the server. You can sell whatever you he want. He's letting it. the jungle be the jungle. He's letting the jungle be the jungle. Yeah. It's on the dark web. You know, you have to go through Tor for it. So there's like. You know, there's a lot of stuff protecting its users. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're not going for the users. They're going for the guy who started the site. The problem that he ran into is he, he made some implementation problems, so they were able to track him down. Mm -hmm. But what's more interesting is what, when they get that guy in custody, like, what are they going to charge him with? He didn't directly, you know, kill anyone, selling drugs to anybody. You know, there's a bunch of conspiracies surrounding, like, what he was involved with. You know, if anyone is close to the case, they'll know. But the interesting thing is that at the end of the day, when they were giving him his sentence, the judge was like, now, I'm going to give you your sentence, but you have to realize that the reason you're getting this sentence is because you've opened a floodgate. You've exposed this huge weakness in our system to the world, where it's you can start an anonymous website, and if you don't fuck up your security, it's extremely hard for police to track us down. And it's extremely hard for police to figure out who's sending the drugs, who's receiving them. And See, it takes a lot of legwork. And so the judge was like, for that reason, even though you individually didn't do that much that was like wildly illegal and you have to be like essentially killed. Right. You've opened the gate for unlimited police work to go down. And now we're going to have maybe decades and decades of trying to unravel what you've set up. So for that reason, you have to go life, no parole. And I think on top of all that, and you recap that perfectly, by the way, but... I think one of the worst parts about all of that is that Silk Road and that whole era has given Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in some circles a very bad name. Absolutely. Because now it's just associated yeah. with that. But anybody who spends five minutes on the idea will realize, oh, yeah, well, cash is used, has the same use case. Yeah. You know, it's an anonymous use case. But I don't know. I think Bitcoin is another example of what we were talking about where it has the ability to cut out the middleman, 
where you can decentralize an entire industry that's profiting off the weak. And I, I don't like saying that, <laughs> you know, but it's very capitalist obvious. Nick. It's I, I am I am a capitalist. I'm definitely a capitalist. You heard but it here first. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. But there's some fucking cronies out there who prey on the weak. And yeah. it's called fractional reserve banking. Okay. Oh, man. No. Okay. There's fucking. Cap- Pause it. Pause the video. <laughs> Pause the video. <laughs> Am I going too deep? Am I going too deep? What? No, no. It's it's just the kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know that much as, about you know economics. As That's I said fair. when we got into the Bitcoin discussion, yeah. like I really don't know. We're that no much. experts. Yeah, we're no, we're experts. no experts. So you know when we veer into like you know. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of don't stuff. Don't worry, man. The it's, people who listen to this podcast know, man. They're open-minded. They know we're, they're open-minded. <laughs> they know we're not fucking doctors and professors. Like, don't worry. It's like, <laughs> oh, I got 40 Long Island jerk-offs listening to you. I love each and every one of you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I Jesus. mean, yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, I mean, the only reason I bring that up is because, like, you know, um, those aren't the, the aspects of Bitcoin that I know a lot about. They're not mm-hmm. the ones that I like focus on because it's one of those things that I don't have the base knowledge right. to really understand. Like, you know, like if you want to bring Paul Krugman on here, like I'm sure he would, he would get it. He'd be like, Bitcoin is doing X, Y, and Z to our economy, you know? But like, <laughs> I'm, I don't really know that much about it. Like I know a lot about Bitcoin historically cause I've been in it for a very long time. Um, and I know about why it works so well but one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about bitcoin and it's kind of coming to light now Mm -hmm. is that bitcoin actually isn't as privacy focused as a lot of people think it is it you're a hundred percent right right because a lot of people think it's a perfect privacy system no when fundamentally and if you read the white paper that's not necessarily true because every transaction is under public record right like when people moved like 2 million Bitcoin a day, there's people on Reddit talking about it because yeah. they could see it in the public Absolutely. domain. You can't necessarily see who that is. Like you have no idea who's moving that Bitcoin yeah. unless you know that private key. That's right. But you have no idea who's moving that Bitcoin. But you do get to see that, that Bitcoin moved. Absolutely. And that's that's one of the major problems with it is that like you don't know who's name social security number blah, blah blah is associated with this Bitcoin address. But what happens is like you you know I don't know if you heard about this, but one of the largest Bitcoin exchanges got bilked for, you know, 7,000 Bitcoin recently, Binance. Binance. And China. China. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so they they got a number of Bitcoin stolen from them that, you know, that's like 50, 60 million dollars, something like that. Maybe more. I don't know. But they got that much stolen from them. And obviously, the first thing you want to do if you steal that much is you want to move it around. You want to launder it. You want to try to exchange it for another currency get it out. Yeah. and you want to get, get it out of the, of the system trail, because yep. you know as long as it's in there it's worthless yep. you know bitcoin has a number on paper but until you got those greenbacks you it, in your 100%. hand like you know no one accepts bitcoin right now so it's worthless you know where it has a cult following though is in the real estate market really there are people who sell houses and they'll take half of it in bitcoin if it means they can get more up front right i've, I've not heard of that that's really yeah, interesting no, there's some people who are doing that yeah i've actually heard of startups that um their whole goal is to mitigate the risk of accepting Bitcoin at your business. Mm-hmm. So it's like, let's say, you know, you're an online business and you want to accept cryptocurrencies, but you're worried because they fluctuate too much. Yes. There's actually middlemen that are like, the customer gives us the Bitcoin, and as long as it takes the transaction to go through, we absorb the risk. But their profit margin is based on if it goes up in value, we also take the profit from that. 
So like we'll take the hit, but we'll also take the profit. Fuck those you know? mitigators. You're, <laughs> there, you're either there or you're square, bitch. Yeah. Don't let these people dip into your pockets. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of those things where it's just like I imagine all the Bitcoin purists are just absolutely going nuts where they're just like, that's not what it's Well, it's about. not. You know, yeah, exactly. It's about. exactly. You know, like, you know what so. it is? It's just the extremists don't help. Like, yeah. I think Bitcoin's great. I really do. But it's the extremists good, yeah. don't help. You can't look at it like it's a pure thing. You can't look at it like it's perfect. But here's the thing. All the issues you just brought up, like that Bitcoin being stolen from Binance, there are banks who lose their funds every single day by the same hackers. Yeah, the same well, motherfuckers. I was like, actually, where I was going with that, is the you know the one sentence ending to that is it's very hard to move stolen bitcoin without it being related to where it came from because mm-hmm. they're trying to move it between all these different currencies. You think the government's going to want to know your private keys one day? Because I'm fully convinced this is going to happen. I'm I mean, fully convinced this is going to happen. I don't think it's going to replace fiat. I think it's going to exist alongside it. I think it's definitely going to make its way as a store of value like gold. Yeah, I, I just see it coming, but. Not an expert. Not financial advice. <laughs> yeah. Don't invest. You what may you're, lose money. You don't know, invest like, what you're not ready to lose. Yeah, this is just absolutely. my fucking opinion. But, um, I would really, really be uncomfortable with that because a private key. Um, with the government owning your private key? Of course. Yeah. Just, yeah just, absolutely. Because people who are listening aren't lost. You know. Because now, now we're really getting into some shit that I can I can comment on. There we go. Private keys, private keys are like an extremely advanced password. You can think about it. Oh yeah, it's one of the. Th- it's a thing that you can generate on your own. You don't need any third party to come up with it. Your computer can generate the appropriate key, the appropriate randomness, just like a password, where you can think of anything you want and make it your password, or you can rely on a program to make it. And so, the thing that strikes me funny with the government needing your private key is it's like you don't need a third party to make one. And the whole integrity of it is that you are the only person that has it. Mm-hmm. It's like if the government started asking for your Facebook password so that they could just like dip in and but just check think, out. But you don't think the government's already asked Facebook for your password? I mean, the thing the thing about Facebook having your password is Facebook actually doesn't have your password. And that's that's a trip for a lot of people because if you don't know how passwords are stored... That. You're going to yeah. have to explain that. You're going to so, have to explain that. Here, so... Just to be clear, just to be clear going into this, so you're saying Facebook has no executive or administrator at Facebook can see what my password is. That is correct. Interesting. And that, now here's here's actually how that works. Now, I can't speak on Facebook's exact implementation of this, but this is how any site who is responsible with passwords, password storage is going to do it. Essentially, back way back in the day, the 70s and 80s, it used to be sites would just have your password. It would be, I have a site. You have to have a password for it. When you put it in and you you hit submit, what actually happens is it goes to the server. The server looks up your password that's associated with your username, compares it, and it says, like, you know, if that's his password, let him in. Ding, ding. Right. And so that was fine before there were people hacking sites. And then when people started hacking sites, what would happen is they'd hack in, they would rip this entire database of passwords, and now they'd have a great list of username, password, username, password, username, password. And that was really shitty for these site administrators because, first of all, literally every member on their site has been compromised now. And the other problem is, especially back in the day, people use those same passwords everywhere. You know, they would be like, you know, fuckboy21, and their password would be password1. 
on every single site that they'd go on. So people would steal these databases from less secure sites. They'd go to a more secure site. They'd try all these passwords in sequence. And likely, you're going to get the same account to work there. And right. now you've hacked this person's like life. You know, you might get into a bunch of their accounts. And so they were like, this is a real problem. Like, that we can't have these less secure sites compromising the security of everyone. So how are we going to solve that? And what they did is they came up with password hashing. Oh, which is essentially, so you make an account on, let's say, Netflix. You type in all your information, and it comes down to type in a username, give it your password. Mm -hmm. So Netflix uses emails, so it's just going to be your email for your, your username. Your password you get to choose. But when you hit submit, that password goes to Netflix server, and they hash it, which is essentially a one-way function that takes whatever you typed in and maps it to a certain number of characters that are just completely random to the naked eye. So you might type in password, but it comes out to like Q, 1, F, G, 1, L, 1, you know, this whole crazy string. And that's what they store. Mm -hmm. They store this crazy string. Next time you go to log in, you type in your email and your password again. It sends the password to them, and they hash it, and then they compare the hashes. Uh. And what this does is if someone was to steal that database... They only have username and the hash. And the thing about hashes that make them really great for this is that you can't go from the hash back to the regular password easily. It's extremely computationally expensive. The only way to go back from the hash to the regular password is to guess every password and hash it and see if that hash matches the first one. So it takes an extremely long time, depending on the hashing algorithm, to go back to the regular password. So if you were to steal the database of one site, you have to spend an extremely long time breaking those hashes before you can use them on another site. So to break this down for people to understand, because I'm going to bet that not everybody could follow that entirely. The reason companies are doing this, because I'm sure there are some people who are saying, bullshit, Facebook has your passwords, Netflix has your passwords. But from the way you just described it, it sounds to me that the reason they would do this is because this is an extremely efficient system to protect your password. Because them not knowing your password only protects your password more. Yeah. And your password being protected reduces their liability. Absolutely. Because if somebody steals your Chase password to your Chase Bank password and takes all your fucking money, Chase is liable for that. Absolutely. You know, unless they can prove you did something really fucking stupid. To yeah. Just like, it's like if I gave it to you and you did it, they're not liable. I am. But it's a way to ensure that they're not liable. Absolutely. It's to protect both themselves and their user base. It's perfect. So that does make sense to me that they would co maybe compromise their desire to have your password for the practicality of security. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of trippy for people when they first hear about that because they're like, they need my password to guarantee that it's me. But the thing is that if you mathematically transform the password... Already are, like, Technology's already written that out. We've already outsourced that. Pretty much. If you, if you can get a computer to mangle your password in a way that can only go from plain text password to hash, mm -hmm. and it can never go the other way, you'd always want to store the hash because the hash can never go back right. to your plain password. And so, as you said, it's better for the users and it's better for the business. Yep. So that's why around, you know, the early 80s, they, most sites moved to this model where they at least hash the passwords. Um, 
Now that's that's a story that goes on. There's a lot more steps in that where people are like, "What about if you do this?" And then they're like, "Well, we'll do that." But so you say um, you so you say they started doing that in the '80s. So does that mean that that was the system before this before the internet was even consumer ready? Yeah, I mean, people. Yeah, exactly. So consumer, like myself and those akin, have never used an internet that didn't have that system or where that system wasn't well, the norm. <laughs> that would you've never used a site that's been in a time period where that, where that would be appropriate norm. to store them just password to password. Gotcha. However, there have been sites that have been hacked where it's been revealed that they've been fucking it up, I and see. that when people hacked them, they're like, "Yeah, you guys are doing it completely wrong. You're not doing it the right way." And that's when sites get a lot of flack because it's like, why weren't you guys hashing them the right way? Why aren't you guys doing it this way? You know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, sorry, we're, we're stuck in the old days. We're not doing it the right way. So everyone knows you're supposed to do it that way now, but not everyone does it that way. And that's, that's where the, the security experts come in and you, so audit, you get audited. When we hear about sites being hacked or right. passwords being hacked, oh, here we go. is it because they're using an archaic system and not the system that you just laid out? Or does that system sometimes get hacked too? How deep do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go deep, motherfucker. Okay. This okay. is your knowledge base. Yeah, I want to no, go this deep. Is, this, is some, this is some shit. So the part I described is what you will get if you hack a site. If you, you let's say let's just use Netflix as an example. Cool. If you were to hack into Netflix right now, one of the things you'd want to get is you'd want to get their database. Because their database is going to contain all those username and hashes that I described. And that's extremely valuable because not only will you have unlimited Netflix for life, but now you have all these other people's credentials if you can crack the hashes. However, that doesn't explain how they got hacked. That just explains what you get if you were to hack them. The ways that a site can get hacked are extremely numerous. There's lots of lot and lots of different ways that people can get access to a database through a website. One of the most common ones is called SQL injection. I don't know if you've ever heard of SQL, but it's essentially Yeah, SQL. Yeah. It's a it's a language that you can program that controls databases. Data. Yep. And so one mistake that's historically been made is that you'll have a part of a site that needs to access a database. Let's say there's a part of a site like Netflix mm -hmm. where you want to sort movies based on some keyword that you provided. Like, let's say you want to see Anchorman. Okay. And, you know, there's more than one Anchorman, right? So you type in, you know, Anchor just as a keyword and you hit enter and you're like, that'll sort it down that'll enough. Get, yeah. So what that ha what happens is you hit submit on that. It goes to the database and it says, give me everything in the database. That's a movie title and has the word anchor in it. And then the database comes back and it says, here's all your results. And it puts them on your screen and you can see them. But what happens if instead of typing anchor, I start typing SQL commands in that box and I, I want to start talking to the database directly and instead of saying here's a word I want you to search in the database I say here's a bunch of code I want you as the database to execute on my behalf and that's called SQL injection whoa okay so you're telling me that I could type SQL into my Netflix search and talk to the database directly that's Fucking why? Why did I never think of that? Hold on, hold on. Why did I never think of that? <laughs> no, no. Netflix, Netflix has solved this. Okay, good. There's, they've definitely, Holy there's, there's shit. ways to fix it. It's but hold not, on, but hold on. Yeah. It was that easy at one point. 
Yes. Oh my there, goodness. Many, many major sites have been compromised in enormous ways because of that exact because problem. Of SQL injection? SQL injection. And it, it really just boils down to instead I of do. typing in normal things, I just type in SQL commands and the database is like, I know what to do with those. And it starts running things on your behalf. And that's when it can get bad because you can tell the database something like this. Instead of giving me every result that has anchor in it, give me every username that you have. And instead of seeing a little preview tile for Anchorman, You'll it'll just, just print out every username. Because it'll be com so the data you ask for will somehow be compatible with the interface. Yeah, the interface just is going to interpret whatever comes back from the database. That's true, and then put it on the display. So if it can interpret it, you might not see it on the screen. But if you look at the source code of what came back to your browser, sometimes it'll just be enumerated there, and the site's like, I don't know how to display that, but I printed it for you. Wow. And obviously there's a whole art to that, and it goes very deep. But I will tell you with absolute certainty that major sites are still affected by this every day. And huge amounts of data, like hundreds of millions of people's data gets pulled down every day. You don't read about it in the news because there'd be way too much to publish and people would get numb to it. Bro, you're freaking me out. I make, I, like, I make websites, and I'm just wondering like, how many of my babies... <laughs> are susceptible to SQL injection. I mean, that's I just that's the absolute tip of the iceberg, bro. Yeah. If you need a security yeah. audit, you let me know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, speaking of which, so I want I want to bring this back to how people listening to this can take this wealth of knowledge you have and apply it to their own, I guess, cyber lives. So, what should the typical internet browsing person what security measures should their laptops and PCs have? What are the standard right. cybersecurity measures you think every laptop and PC owner should have? There's one trick that really rules them all when it comes to avoiding being having your life uprooted cyber on, on the internet. And that is using different passwords for every site that you make a password for, which is very challenging, I understand, because people use a lot of sites... They can only remember so many passwords. Totally understandable. But here's how you solve that. You get a program called a password manager for your browser or for your PC. Um, one of the examples that everyone uses is LastPass. LastPass. Very popular. So this is like one of those Chrome extensions, yeah. plugins you could add to these browsers like Firefox and Brave and stuff like that. Absolutely. Speaking of which, before I continue, what browser do you recommend? Firefox. So you recommend Firefox. Yeah. Okay. Go um, on. But password managers are great because they detect when you're on a login screen and they say, oh, I have your password stored so you don't have to remember it. So what that means is not only do you not have to have the burden of remembering your password for Netflix anymore, but the password manager can remember extremely ridiculous passwords that are like 128 characters long. They're completely random digits. And you'll never be able to remember that just as a human, but a password manager, it has no problem. So what? What if they just hack the password manager? Well, here's the. Th that, I mean, this is the this is the problem. Is like password managers obviously are a very secure, you know, item. If you are able to hack well, that, like well, you have a lot of stuff going on for you. Gotcha. So, so if you're able to hack that, you're probably got bigger targets than Joe Schmo down the block. If you could hack password manager, you're not worried about just your average Joe. 
there's that, and you're, there's also the you're fact probably that going after Epstein. There's also the fact that password manager providers like LastPass are extremely cognizant of people wanting to hack them because they have so much sensitive information. So if there's one company that you can rely on for having decent security and taking security very seriously, it's, it's probably the password manager sites or security sites in general because they are the ones that they're like, we're aware of the current issues. We know what people are trying to do to sites like Netflix, sites like Google, blah, blah, blah. So they're very, very focused on that. And instead of having to trust any site that you sign up for where it's like I signed up for, you know, shittyporn.biz and I use the same password I use on everything and then shittyporn.biz gets hacked and then that's the same password for everything. Now you just have to worry about LastPass getting hacked, which is possible, but I think it's less likely than any of the sites you've ever used the same password for getting hacked. So you're really you're you're not completely eliminating your risk, but you're reducing it quite a lot. And that's really all you can do in security. You can never completely solve it, but you can always reduce it a lot. Okay. So we have a password manager. Yeah. Is a VPN necessary for everyone? A VPN is only necessary And what is a VPN? A VPN is a virtual private network. And essentially what it is is in the most basic terms, it's your computer routes all of its internet traffic through a different computer that's hosted by some company in some other country, and then that traffic goes to the internet, it comes back to that third-party computer, and then they send it to you. And so they just act as a middleman, and what that offers you as a customer is it looks like your computer is in some other country, and so you encrypt all the traffic to them, so your ISP just sees stuff going to this one computer in Europe, Indonesia. anywhere. Yeah. And then they do all the dirty work for you, whether it's torrents or sites or really anything. And then they send it back encrypted so your ISP can't see that either. And that is great as far as privacy is concerned because as long as that company is outside of the jurisdiction of your country, as far as like, we want that guy's data, like you got to give it to us. And then they're like, we don't care. Or they're like, we don't log. And so we don't have anything for you. As long as you're using a company that has those attributes... It is a really great measure for privacy because it essentially means like your internet traffic is private. Okay. So we got here password manager, a VPN. Mm -hmm. What about anti-piracy? What about antivirus? What about any of that? Is all yeah. that stuff still necessary today? Well, it really, it really depends because it really depends what you're doing on your computer. It really depends what kind of user you are. Um, a lot of people... Let's talk about the average user. What the do you average, think the average, yeah. So user, the average, yeah. the average user, I'm going to say, is somebody that, you know, they probably use their password in a lot of the same places. So they're going to want a password manager mm -hmm. to manage their extremely different, complex passwords. That's the most important one. Second, a lot of people torrent stuff. A lot of people yes. download a lot of illegal music, movies, TV shows, and for that, you're going to want a VPN because when you go on a torrent client and you download a torrent. It shows all the other IPs that are downloading it and seeding it, and you don't want that to be your real IP. You want that to be the VPN's IP because when the government comes back to them, they're going to be like, fuck you, mm -hmm. we don't have anything, and you're safe. Um, as far as antivirus, which is below all those things, um, once you actually download the thing that you're trying to download, sometimes people who are aware that you wanted a movie are like, let's give them a virus. That's how the malware community works. They want to infect as many people as possible. And what do most people want? They want media. They want games. They want stuff like that. And so that's where you're going to put your malware. It, you hide it in there like a Trojan horse. Exactly. And so for that, 
uh, antivirus is still important. One of the things I will mention is if you're on Windows 8 more 10, um, Microsoft has really upped the ante with what's built in with Windows Defender and Advanced Threat Protection and all these other cool things that they have built in there. And they actually do quite a good job. Uh, a lot of security researchers have had trouble getting around those just for, you know, white hat security stuff like legal, like mm -hmm. how can I do this? You know, I'm just doing research. So those are actually quite good. But if you were to buy a third party solution to supplement that, um, there are quite a number of good ones out there. Uh, I really like Knob32. Um, okay. It's the one with the like cool iRobot looking one on the cover. Um, but it's pretty good. It has pretty good detection rates. But honestly, even if you don't want to pay for anything, Windows Defender it has gotten a lot better since like the Windows 7 days. Honestly, I have Windows, I have Windows 10 and the Windows Defender I found is great. It's really great. I have a computer that's... I have a laptop that's going to be five years old soon and still <laughs> yeah. crushing. Yeah, absolutely. It's still crushing. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft... Just did a 24-hour stream. Yeah, like, and actually, this is a good time to bring this up, but you know how a lot of people say that, um, you know, Windows is vulnerable to viruses, but, like, Mac is not? You probably... Have you heard that before? Uh, let's just say, you see that you see that old MacBook yeah. under my bed? Yeah. <laughs> you learned it the see hard him? way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that's, I mean, that's just one of the things that I always tell people is it's like, it's not that Macs aren't vulnerable because Macs are de as vulnerable as Windows. The thing is that Windows computers are over 90% of the market share. Yep. And so if you're writing a virus, if you want to get your biggest return on investment, you're going to write it for Windows. That's and what so, many people don't realize is like outside of the United States, nobody's buying these Apple products. No, absolutely not. Nobody. Nobody. Android is used everywhere. I was just in, I was just in Europe and you didn't see an iPhone. Anywhere. No, that's in fact that's how you could pick out an American tourist. Yeah, if you saw, I bet. If you I bet. see a fucking iPhone. That's how you know they're just way too expensive for way everyone too, else. They're way too expensive, and it's like, and I, bro, you know what I love so much about audio and like audio equipment, and just look at this here. See this three these three prong mics. Yeah, you could find me an interface from almost a hundred years ago, and these three prong mics will fit right in. Absolutely, and they'll work <laughs> just fine. Hundred yeah. years of technology, no need to change that. No need to change this eighth inch. This eighth inch cable. Well, I don't know. We got lightning now. They're 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 phasing that out. And, and that's my thing is now the I iPhone mean, thinks they're such hot shit they can just phase all this shit out. It's like no, dude. I got a Pixel three and they got rid of it. Oh, I'm super mad because like I've been Android forever. I've never had an iPhone. Just too expensive. Didn't offer me enough. Right. And I got a Pixel three because my last phone fucked up and uh, doesn't have the hitch. It doesn't have the port bro i'm super mad i gotta plug in the same stupid adapter that the iphone people have to <laughs> and it's like dangling off and people like, all right, all right. the change of phone chargers over and over is just again i would probably wouldn't think much of it if i didn't know so much about like audio technology yeah. and microphone technology yeah. and how this shit is just never needed to change but the equipment keeps getting exponentially better uh it's it's wild man but uh Let's see, we got about 15 minutes left. So this okay. is a good time to talk about the chip gang, the, oh, the, neur chip gang. the neural interface. <laughs> oh, my god! I wanted to get your take on okay. this. So this thing drops, right? For, so first, what do you imagine the neural interface is like? Its capabilities. Paint it with a broad brush. Okay. So 
I don't know that much about the actual implementations right now. I know that uh, you know it's in the wheelhouse of like Facebook and some of these other yeah. big companies. Where we don't know much. They're yet. trying to do that. We don't know that much yet. But my my optimal outlook on it would be it would be a chip that you get implanted in some part of your body, and it pretty much picks up raw signals from your neural your ner- nervous system, your brain, and I don't know if it'll be able to read your thoughts super precisely but even if it could be something where like i think about this particular thing or i flex this muscle or something and it can execute something on your behalf that's pretty close to what i imagine it being where it's just like i have strong ideas in one direction and it can do things on my behalf and of course that's going to require getting a whole bunch of data from your muscles your brain other parts of your body and so with that data, because it's so close to the, the hardware of a person, it could probably do great things for you. Or it's just like you're getting sick, like your immune system is compromised so in some way. Warning. It's like, oh, tumor, tumor, tumor. Exactly. It could and do you crazy. It in stage one every time. It could do crazy yes. medical stuff. It could definitely help with like getting drugs into your bloodstream. You know, if you need some treatments done or anything like that, um, it can definitely help for, you know, people who have lost limbs. It can definitely help yes. them control artificial limbs in a more granular way. It can help them do that kind of stuff much better, I imagine. But my concern with it being a security professional is that you're going to put this chip in and then how often is it going to be updated? Probably never because they put it in once and it's like, is it going to have Wi-Fi? If so, you're opening up a whole that new thing. That is the plan. The plan is for Wi-Fi. If it's got Wi-Fi. If you want to think, talk about like what things like Jeff Bezos and Musk and Zuckerberg are talking about, it's Wi-Fi is the plan. Yeah. And that worries me a lot because one of the, most, one of the most upsetting things you see in computers as far as a security perspective is when people have something sensitive and they accidentally expose it to the internet. And or it's supposed to be exposed to the internet, and someone finds a vulnerability for it, and all of a sudden, hundreds of millions of people are vulnerable because this person was like, "I found something wrong with it," and then they start exploiting it, and while like everyone's patching commands. it, exactly, What's and that's taken years. Yeah. That's taken years to get out of the ecosystem. Well, you know, here's something. It's like I, I, there are things about him I like, and there are things about him I don't like, and this is Elon Musk. And but there's one thing he said that I think was very important. He talked about that like when we first made cars, there weren't seatbelts. Right. But after we had 15 years of accidents, we realized well, not 15 years, a lot longer than that. After a while, we were like, hey, let's add seatbelts. We right. added seatbelts, so we were able to reduce the casualties. He was like, we don't get that window with artificial intelligence. Absolutely, I totally it's like, agree. It's like we don't have that chance. There's no seatbelt for AI. There's no seatbelt for the chip. There's no seatbelt for any of this. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I want to talk about it so much on my podcast and I ask every guest is because, like, this is something we're going to deal with in our lifetime. Yeah. It will be an option. It's in our, our lifetime. lifetime. It will be an option. Might be in 20 years, might be in 40 years, 60 years, but it's the lifetime. We are close. We are definitely close than I think a lot and of And what do you think, think we're going to do? You think this is... If you, do you think people are definitely going to take it. You think There's it's just going to happen? They're just going to push think, it on us? We're just going to go? I think they're going to come out with it in, you know, 10 years. I'm going to be pretty aggressive on that. I think in 10 years, 10 years, you'll have... 10, 15 years, you'll have the option. I don't think it'll be something that you're forced to have. But I think it's the kind of thing that well, you'll you'll all, have the you'll option, get, and like you know, you're going to get phased gonna out of genera- the marketplace. There's, exactly, there's going to be phased there's going to be a generation of kids just like Snapchat right now, where it's like, oh, you don't have a Snapchat, like that's not cool. Exactly. You know, yep. you don't have the brain chip, that's not cool. Like, mm-hmm. so it's like <laughs> people are going to have the fucking brain chip, and um, 
I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know which company is going to bring it to market first. I don't know exactly how many years, but it definitely is interesting. Like we've seen prototypes with like Google Glass and other like wearable tech. The, the wearable Snapchat, tech isn't going to work. I don't think the so. wearable tech. It's not perfect. And people don't like it. Like the spectacles from Snapchat never really worked out. Wasn't as good. Mm-hmm. Google Glass completely failed. Uh, Apple Watch. It's like doing well, but it's not like enough. It doesn't really do all the stuff. We need something else. And I think a lot of companies realize that and they're going to do it. I think, because I, I think about that, right? I think one thing that might be able to get me to do it is if it was something that was removable. You're talking about something that can go into your skin, right? It's like, but what if you had like a wrist, not a wrist watch, but like a wristband you could wear that like hooked up to your vein right here, yeah. right, your bloodstream. And then you had something you could place right here and it was activated. That'd be nice. Right? And then you could, de- I think that's just, I don't know. I feel like it won't get over unless people feel like they're in control in some way. In people some do like control, way. but you know what people like even more than control is convenience. Convenience and safety. It's convenience and safety, but more convenience than anything. Like if you're like, oh, we just got to put it in your brain forever, but it does all these nice things, and you don't have to think about it at all. That might be the thing where it's like it moves from my wrist to my brain. I'm not saying I'm super about it. Like personally, I feel like it's just it's a step too far for me. I probably won't do it in my lifetime. Um, my first guest but, and roommate put it well because he's undecided about it, and he and I agree with him when he's like. You know what? I'm not going to get the iPhone 1. Right. I'll wait it out. And if it seems to be working out for my loved ones, yeah. I'll get the iPhone 4. That's a good way to look at it. And yeah. in my head, I'm like, I'm with them. Be the early adopter. Don't don't jump at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Don't, don't jump at it. Definitely. Who knows? It's scary stuff, man. I bring up this example all the time. But uh, you ever watch, did you ever watch Futurama? Yeah. Remember the episode where Fry's getting commercials in his dreams? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't help but think of that. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's dangerous that or close. Now. I wonder if that happens now, to be Ooh, honest with you. I don't you. like that. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to talk about that. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about that. But, you know, still got a little bit of time. So I want to actually give some time to talk about your YouTube channel. Okay. Can I go to the bathroom before we talk about it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Go for it. Okay. I'll sit here and I will, I'll entertain the people while you take your piss. Is it is this a piss or is this a dump? It's a, piss. it's a I just need to know how much filler time I'm coming up with here. All right, so my boy just hit the bathroom, everybody. It's just you and me now. We're doing this dance together. So we're about to talk about his YouTube channel. I know I probably brought it up in the intro, but I swear to God, guys, you've got to check this shit out. It's some of the funniest stuff you can find. And if you like random, funny comedy that shocks you and surprises you, this is definitely the channel you want to go to. It'll be uh, Colin Montiel on YouTube. I'm sure I spelt it for you in the intro, so I'm not even going to try and spell it now. But yeah, we'll just wait for our buddy to get back here. So how about them fucking Mets, guys? How about them fucking Mets? They get us all built up with this 14-1 run, and then in the biggest series, they get fucking smacked around by the Atlanta Braves and lose lose two games to one. Not what you wanted to see, but they had a good weekend series, winning two or three. But now they got to bring it home on this homestand. This is this is where they're gonna make and break their bread. Okay, you're back. Yes. All right, good. All right, we're bringing it back. All right. Yes. Sorry about that. You you're know, good, man. You're good. Drinking a lot of liquor. I know. Getting, I know. You've been up. fancying the bullet whiskey from nice. Rob Mutarelli. Shout out. This I've is nice a, stuff, Rob. I've had a couple Yinglings myself. How was your piss? It was excellent. I mean, you know, whenever you get get a little alcohol in you and you get to that piss stage, it's oh like, yeah, dude. You know, so it's not, it's yeah, nice. no, I'm good. I feel good. 
So your I just YouTube channel. for the uh, interruption. But. Oh, you're good, man. Don't worry about it. But your uh, your YouTube channel. Yes, I know. I, was, I know you want to talk about this. I definitely want to talk about it because it's it's, and I say this to your compliment. It's been memed in my apartment. Your some of your videos have gone to complete top tier meme status <laughs> in my apartment. My little brother Chris came over one day and showed it to to us, and we, like, dying of laughter, dude. Like hilarious! You definitely don't hold back. Definitely going for shock value on a lot of those cuts. This is—I I probably mentioned this in the intro, everybody—but not for the faint of heart. If you're easily offended, stay away. <laughs> but if you—if you're—if you're a sicko, fly to this shit like a moth to light. Let's do it. But why? Why do you? What drove you to make these videos? What drove you to make a lot of this? And excuse me if I'm mischaracterizing it, but this goofy, shocking, out of left field comedy. Yeah, no, that, I I don't even think that's uh, too inaccurate. I think that's a pretty good description of it, actually. But the real story is, I was an extremely early adopter of YouTube. I got on 2006. It started in 2005, and immediately I was like, "This is cool. I can put up a bunch of like." shitty club penguin videos and i can put up a bunch of shitty youtube video i mean uh, runescape videos and like all this other stuff and i made a bunch of those and i was just like there's more to do on this platform because i was watching a lot of like smosh i was watching a lot of like comedy stuff Watch meth minute i used to love no no never watched it but i was watching a lot of stuff like that and i was like there's more to do here and so it was around that time maybe one or two years later that, you know, I was really following, like, internet culture and over 9,000 was becoming a thing. That was the big thing. And so eventually I was like, why has no one put on, put on, put the raw video on YouTube? Why has no one put on just the original audio and video so other people can download it and, like, meme it and do crazy stuff with it? And so I found it and I uploaded it and that video took off in a huge way. That was, I mean, I wasn't the first person to put the video on, but my video is by far the most popular one on YouTube. You had the best tags. Exactly. I think that's it because yeah, early tags. YouTube was super about that mm-hmm. and that got embedded in Know oh, Your yeah. Meme and oh, it got yeah. embedded in a bunch of other websites and that's the one that everyone references now. And so that was a big start because I was like, wow, you can really get a lot going with like just a very simple like comedic video. Mm-hmm. And it was right after that that I started making other channels for just comedy. And I just was doing these weird like fake tutorials on like how to do this thing that I knew everyone on the internet wanted to do, but it was just fake. And the first like three steps would be real, and the last like twenty steps would all just be fake just and veering in this terrible direction, you know. And there's I have like a whole YouTube channel that's stuff like that. And then eventually I was just like, you know, we could refine it a little more. And that's when I made my most recent channel that has all the videos that you're referencing on where, you know, I got a little bit better at editing. I got some better sources for the stuff I was memeing. And that's when it really took off because I was older. I was a little more experienced. um, And I just started making these videos where I was like, you know, here's an inside joke that me and my friends would riff on all the time. That's where the Timmy's Mix video came up from. It felt like that. There's yeah. a lot of dialogue in there where I'm like, I. it, it felt like inside jokes. Yeah, there's it a lot. Way, All yeah. those videos have an insane number of inside jokes with me and a couple of my friends I've had <laughs> since high school. But Timmy's Mix was really maybe the, the springboard for everything else because it was like this inside joke everyone had been riffing on. 
for a very long time and i was just like this has to be taken to its logical conclusion where it has to be like it's this huge thing and it's got all these references and like these ridiculous jokes and it's so sour and so out of left field very sour and it's just like spontaneous and weird and then it ends before you even know what happened and you're like what in the world is going on here you know i think you have an epic trilogy between sour hour Timmy's Mix and The Secret of the Pyramids. <laughs> I watched those three. I'm like, I feel like this could be 1 a.m. Adult Swim shit. That's always been the the like, dream. I felt I mean, that. That's always I feel been that. The dream. Yeah. When I watched it, I'm like, I feel like this is the kind of shit I'd see if I was stay if I stayed up late and watched Adult Swim at 3 a.m. Like after Aqua Teen Hunger Force, yeah. and they just gave me a 10 minute cut of this. Yeah, no, that's Adult Swim has always been a huge inspiration for my editing, my videos, and stuff like that. I really love what that channel does. Um, I really love Mike Lazo, who's like the, yep. the, the content director for uh, Adult Swim. And it, yeah, I, you totally nailed it. Hey, that's exactly the kind of stuff that I want to do. because <laughs> I love it. I genuinely love the videos, dude. I, everyone I show them to pisses themselves laughing. Yeah. I've, I've, it, it, I don't know how much this means to you, being that you're in Seattle now. But no, there's probably 15 people who a year ago wouldn't have known about this video that now if you start doing the Timmy's Mix rant, we'll know <laughs> the whole Timmy's Mix rant. Yeah, dude, I know it. I know it. It's fucking unbelievable. I, I recommend everybody go listen to it. We got to wrap this up. We just passed an hour. Uh, Colin, you're the man. Thank you for coming on, talking about cybersecurity and Bitcoin and Timmy's Mix and the whole ordeal. Uh Tell the people where they can find you. Tell them what you got going on. Give them your message. This is it. The floor is yours. Wrap this up. What do you got for them? Well, the only place you can reach me is through postcard. No. <laughs> no <laughs> P.O. Um, box. Um, you, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can hear my music on SoundCloud, ITS underscore pager. Um, that's pretty much it. You can catch me at Nick's house on the streets of Merrick, on and the, the streets the of YouTube Seattle. channel. Colin YouTube Montiel. channel. Yeah, you can check me out on YouTube, Colin Montiel. That's where all this content is uh, being posted. Thinking about getting back into it. Been really about music recently. Hell yes. But uh, thinking about doing some music on the side and putting the videos up front again. So We'll see. We'll see. That sounds yeah. like a fluid motion. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. You know we love you, motherfuckers. Connor. Thank Connor. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Cut. Everybody. Cut. <laughs> Cut. God damn. Colin. Ooh. Colin, I'll thank you for coming that. on, dude. Absolutely. It's been an Thanks absolute for having fucking me on. pleasure. Absolutely. Everybody, thank you. We'll see you on the next one. So Good night. The whole blinking cosmos, with all its galaxies, and forever and ever and ever, whatever it is beyond that, what you might call God in the Western tradition, or Brahman in Hindu philosophy, or Tao in Chinese. Every one of us is really that, but we are pretending we are. And we are pretending with tremendous skill and deception. Who are you?